Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our Lessons in Leadership and Discovery, what you can learn from outside of medicine and why it's so important for you to do that. We left off with this slide by Keith Grossman. Keith has had a number of leadership roles. Most recently, he was the editor of Time Magazine. Specifically, the current customers of a successful business are usually happy with the service they're receiving and are unlikely to perceive or understand changes in the marketplace that may be coming in the near future, and are unlikely to be happy with any abrupt changes brought about by the incumbent business. On the other hand, new entrants into the market, unencumbered by the expectations of any current customers, are much more likely to make the dramatic changes needed to respond to a constantly changing market. And this is just brilliant, because you think about it, what happens is, think about Kodak. They really liked film. Film worked really well for 100 years. Think about Polaroid. It all worked well. And then things changed because no one could make better film than Kodak. No one could make a better type camera than Polaroid did. So they came up with new things. They came up with digital. There was no film. Now you weren't worrying were you going to buy 12, 24, 36, then take it to the store, get it um, developed, pay for that, hope the films came out good. No, digital photography came along. Now, Kodak should have led that change, but they didn't want to because it became clear to them. Blockbuster. They had a great business. There was a Blockbuster in nearly every corner. You would rent out a movie. And then the company Netflix said, hey, why don't we work with Blockbuster? Blockbuster said, no, we have a great business. Why would we want to change it? Well, guess what? Netflix became a billion, billion, billion dollar business, one of the most successful companies in the world. And Blockbusters is only someone like me who remembers those blue awnings that they had at the store. Keith spoke about leadership in a time of change, and we're always living through a time of change. You need to define your North Star or the fundamental aspects of goals of your business, and then work backward to figure out the best step forward. Every decision you make should bring you closer to that North Star. Once you make a decision, have the courage to own that decision. Be confident and knowledgeable. Be able to articulate your message. Although being confident in your decisions, it's important, continually stress test the reality of your decisions and be prepared to change course if things are not working. And that's really brilliant, right? Because sometimes things just aren't working. You can make the best decisions in the world, but it's not the right decision. It's not necessarily the wrong decision, but it's not the right decision and you need to change. One aspect of Keith's talk we found particularly important was stressing the idea that making changes sometimes means temporarily ignoring the short-term complaints of your customers, many who like things as they are. Remember that Jensen Wang said the same thing, that even your best customers giving you good advice, what they think is good advice is not the right advice. It's particularly true, Keith mentioned in his field, but it's true in any field. And it's true in medicine and where it's changes in our practice may affect not only our patients, but also our referring physicians. Perhaps in this time of change, particularly rapid change, when changes may be required of us on a constant 
basis, consistently maintaining communication with our referring physicians and patients about the rationale behind our decisions may be critical as we go forward. You need to have buy-in. You need to understand what the customers want, what the patients want, and how things have changed. What patients wanted pre-COVID is different, I think, than what they want today. Now, it may not be right. Maybe you need to explain to them the advantages of not doing things with telemedicine. When I see a cardiologist, when I see someone like Tom Trail, he'll speak to you, and you could do that speaking over the phone, I guess, but then he'll say, well, do you want a telemedicine visit or you want me to do a physical visit? Because there's no way he can touch you and listen to your heart and feel your pulse and your pulse in your feet, strength of the pulse, all of those things. You need to be in person. Many things we can do. We can monitor your heart rate and many other things on an iPhone all year long. And you only have an appointment once or twice a year. So that's good. But one without the other perhaps doesn't work but we need to make sure our patients understand what we're doing. In some sense, everything we do in many ways becomes customer service. Horse Schultes, if you don't understand how to optimize service for your customers, all the medical knowledge in the world will not be sufficient for your business to succeed. Horst won two Malcolm Baldridge Awards as the head CEO of the Ritz-Carlton now, that's a manufacturing award. He's in the service business. They don't manufacture anything at the Ritz-Carlton. They manufacture quality, and that's why he won the award. In my experience, there are three things customers expect from any business. Timely service, a good product, and people who treat me well and are nice to me. They care about me. It's true when you go to the 7-Eleven. It's true when you go to the gas station. It's true when you go to a hotel. And it's true when you come to a physician. Let's assume for a moment that your department institution have a good product. You are great physicians and nurses. And patients can expect good outcomes if they choose your hospital. Unfortunately, the general public may not always have enough medical knowledge to recognize that you're doing a good job. It is timely service in the way in which people interact with them that comes to define their perspectives of you or their perceptions of you and their care. If you don't answer the phone, if someone doesn't get back to them, if you're put on hold incessantly, you know yourself when you're put on hold how annoying it is. And at times you just hang up. I know with some of the best physician offices in town, their admins, the nurses make the call to schedule a CT. If they're not gonna be on hold or have to answer a thousand questions, they're gonna to go to the site that takes the information quickly so they can get back to their patients. Time becomes a very important thing to them. And this is true in the hotel industry. We found that any wait longer than a couple minutes is enough to create a negative perception of your organization in the customer's mind. Unfortunately, long wait times seem to be common in many hospitals. Why? The last people who should be kept waiting are sick patients who are scared and anxious. Yet, if you go to many hospitals, the ER wait time is six hours. When you go to Florida, there are signs. I know Baptist Hospital have these signs which shows their waiting room time. It might be five minutes, it might be 10 minutes, but people know in advance what it's gonna take. You go to a hospital in Baltimore, many hospitals, you're just waiting there, it seems like forever. You go into a room, no one sees you, what is going on here? 
Horace goes on to say, I hire my employees as human beings to join us and be part of us. I want them to be part of a vision and dream of our company, and I want them to gain happiness from being part of a team that creates excellence. Exactly what Jensen Wang said. His employees at Jensen Wang's, many are PhDs, but it's this team experience, this excellence. If you think about Horst Schultes, you think about a hotel, you have people parking cars and dishwashers and people serving the meals and people at the pool. Not everybody is a PhD, but they want to be part of a team. And in this era with people quitting, this is going back a few years when Horst was here, but he made the point that hotels run 100 to 200% turnover, and he ran something like 40% turnover because he made people feel special. And he said he was not paying more, but he was treating people better. Just as important, I have discovered over the years that the success of a team and individual employees is highly contingent on having your organization filled with leaders rather than managers. Let me repeat that. Leaders rather than managers. Leaders give no excuses. They exude positivity, optimism, and drive, and they're filtered down to every member of the organization. Managers, on the other hand, are concerned with covering up their own lack of drive and ambitions with excuses. Horse goes on to say, finding leaders is not that easy. You're going to see many of our speakers have made that point. But I've managed to gradually fill up my organization with leaders rather than managers. And that has contributed to my employees being happy and being placed in positions where they can succeed. Hiring the right people is the key to success and should be a top priority. And whether you're Horst Schultes or whether you're Eric Becker or Paul Greenberg, each of them said the same thing. Melissa Freeman, for each enterprise or institution, the name brand is intricately attached to the value of the brand. It's the responsibility of the enterprise or institution to make sure the attributes and values attached to the brands are upheld, ensuring that brand equity is maintained or improved. Why? because the brand helps attract customers and attract the best staff and allows a company to charge a premium for its products and services. She spoke about the brand name. If you're NVIDIA, you want to make sure people are always happy. If you're the Ritz-Carlton, people are paying more than they're paying at uh, Motel 6, but they expect to get their value. You can get a premium if you provide premium service. Once your brand experience is established and equity is accrued, you need to protect the equity. If your institution were a chain of five hotels like the Four Seasons, what would happen to brand equity if one of the properties did not provide the same level of service? Or if the hotel you always stayed in suddenly began to erode in quality, would your opinion of the whole chain, whole chain change? Absolutely. Would you still recommend it as your favorite place to stay? Probably not. Consistency is key, and it's something the entire organization has to believe in and convey. You also see this comment many of the speakers have said, the entire organization. It's not just one piece. If CT is great and plain films is not great, you got a problem. If plain films is great and ultrasound isn't, you got a problem. CT, ultrasound, MR, angio, everything needs to be really, really good. 
And she goes on to make the point that perception is critical. Healthcare facilities can positively affect patients' perceptions by ameliorating the experience surrounding the delivery of healthcare itself. A relative of mine recounts the experience of undergoing a thyroidectomy at Sloan Kettering. The family waited in a beautifully appointed waiting room, could be easily contacted using a sensor device loaned to them by the hospital, and were able to follow the journey of their loved one on a monitor, also via sensor. This was not only comforting for the family, but just as important, gave them a sense that the facility was indeed state-of-the-art. Again, you need the best surgeon, let's be honest. At the end of the day, if you're getting Whipple's procedure, you want a John Cameron. Whether John Cameron was good socially, and he was wonderful, but the point is at the end of the day, your outcome in many ways depends on the surgeon. If your surgeon is not the most talkative person, perhaps get the best surgeon. But people's feel, the relative, so much of it becomes everything. A brand does not live inside the walls of a company. It lives in the hearts and minds of your patients, your employees, and your community. And your brand is even more emotionally charged than almost all others for your praise for your patience. This was a brilliant statement. Your brand is in their hands because their life is in your hands. Very well said. Now, Cindy Wolf is a famous chef, a James Beard finalist many, many times. She runs, I think, seven or eight restaurants in Baltimore now, uh, including the Charleston, which is the go-to place. And that's the place that when all my speakers came, uh, to talk at Hopkins, we took them to dinner, and everybody, I don't care whether they're from Palo Alto or New York, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, you name it, they always said it was incredible. And she made the point that radiology and restaurants are all the same. It's talking about experience of people. You have to understand that every guest is always the most important person in the room. And we have instilled that ethos in all of our staff members. Interestingly, this is one area where your industry, talking about medicine, in my experience fails. Several years ago, my father underwent major surgery and I felt the healthcare staff did not consider him to be the most important person in the room. and was simply not listening to what he and his, my family had to say to them. We all felt like we wanted to slip under the chairs. Cindy's a great supporter of Hopkins, but when someone like her says that her father and her were not the most important people in the room, the only person who's important in the room is the patient and the patient's family. But if they don't feel that way, you have a problem. I realize that managing the customer experience will undoubtedly be harder in a big organization like yours. Nevertheless, there is no excuse not to try. Hire people who care about and believe in what your organization is doing and keep paying attention to every aspect of the customer experience. Again, we mentioned this before in radiology. Parking, answering the phone, scheduling, the technologist doing a great job, the nursing getting the IV in one stick. Each of those things impacts the customer experience. At our institution, likely reflective of practices across the country, radiologists pay little attention to this group of employees, virtually never interact with them, and are often blind to the importance of these staff members in driving patients' perception of a practice and the ultimate economic success of a radiology group. I think all of us 
we've spoken about this as many articles like ours and JACR talking about the entire customer experience. And Cindy Wolf made the point that from the time someone schedules a reservation to the time they drive up to the hotel, have the dinner, and get back in their car and leave, she's responsible for them all the time. There are no excuses. Going back to what Ed said, Ed Campbell, having an organization which everyone feels empowered to suggest ideas and make contributions is critical if you hope to innovate. What do the scheduling people think about? What are their pain points and how do we solve them? The scheduling people know best. And again, this point about an open door policy, people need to be able, I'm not saying the word is complain, give positive suggestions, or maybe it is just to complain. But if you're working at the front desk, if you're the scheduling person, you're scared and probably it's told to you, don't be calling up the uh, the radiologist or someone else. Do what you're told. If you have a problem, speak with me. They don't want problems to go above them because now you're using that term, you're going above me, you're going around me. Then you're in trouble. People feel or fear getting in trouble, but you need to have people looking ahead. Nick Bayer, Nick actually will be speaking to us at the end of February, 2023. Uh, Nick runs Saxby's and he's done a lot of building since this talk, but let's just talk about the 2017. We recognize that the best team members, remember he doesn't talk about people he hires, they're team members. Successful companies like Disney also talk about it that way. Have the same people who are successful in our business have three personal traits. They're outgoing, detail-oriented, and disciplined, which in this world is really odd because it's hard to get people who are that good. Regardless of their prior work experience, they must possess these three traits, outgoing, detail-oriented, and disciplined, and then we can be successful. And he has rules. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But even more than that, treat others the way they want to be treated. And a double platinum rule, treat others the way they don't even know they want it to be treated. Horst Schulte's made the same point. You know how people want to be treated? Not at home, like their home. They want to be treated like they were at their mother's home. Because your mother never asked you what you wanted for dinner. She knew what you wanted. She knew how you had your bed made. She knew every single thing. And everything was perfect because she knew you. That's what people want. They want to be treated well. And they will respond to that. Radiology departments need to be proactive to facilitate a positive experience for the patient. Patients who refer to radiology begin their experience when they call the schedule, the exam, and complete the experience when the physical when the physician explains the results of the test. Exactly what Cindy said. Exactly what Ed said. Exactly what Keith said. It's that total experience that becomes critical. Again, how do you hire? Careful selection of receptionists, nurses, technologists with these three skills, odd, is essential to running a department that provides a positive experience for a patient. Because of the intrinsic unpleasantries of any medical procedure, our staff needs to go above and beyond and embrace the double platinum rule. Treat others the way they don't even know they want to be treated. Anticipate patients' needs and exceed their expectations. Okay? Now, everyone spoke about, 
and we're going to get into more detail about hiring. But remember that um, Marla spoke about how you treat your employees. If your team members are happy, they will treat the customers happy. So let me just touch on that a little bit. And Marla is the person. Again, I've worked at many companies. You know, the best leaders and executives have been able to create work cultures that inspire both clients and their company's employees. And they have had the strength as leaders to drive the difficult changes needed to create those positive work cultures. Over the years, having seen both successful and unsuccessful businesses, I've become a strong believer that in order for your company to be successful, your employees must be happy. They must truly believe in their company and products, and they must be willing to put their clients first. But if your employees are unhappy with you, if they felt they're being treated unfairly, if they're underpaid, poorly treated, all of those things we know can easily happen, why do you think they're going to treat the patients well? If they're unhappy, the patients are going to be unhappy. The success of any company starts with caring about your people, products, and clients. And of these three, I would argue that focusing on the happiness of your own employees may actually be most important for the long-term sustainability of your business. Without happy employees, it's difficult to maintain happy clients, no matter how good your product is. And that's 100% correct. At the core of a successful company lies a happy, motivated workforce that does not feel unduly stressed or burdened. And this, and this was, we spoke about this eight years ago. Now in the COVID era where people are talking about stress, people not wanting to come to work, we need to rethink what Marla said. Although many companies put a lot of emphasis on attracting the best talent, it is my view that this alone is not sufficient as a company must put equal emphasis on creating high-performance workplaces that allow these employees to maximize their potential. And without that, you're going to keep turning over your employees. Over the course of our experience with the Happiness Training Program, we've come away with five key lessons. Happiness is a choice rather than something one is born with, and it can be taught to individuals who otherwise consider themselves unhappy. Happiness requires the ability to balance one's personal and public lives. Feeling gratitude for the good things in one's life can help suppress many of the negative emotions that can hinder happiness and success. Nurturing positive relationships and taking time to acknowledge and express gratitude for the efforts of others can help one feel better about oneself. And finally, learning optimism can help make people and businesses more successful. Those are five things. It's almost like five commandments. Nothing is all that brilliant in those five things, but doing them is not as easy and is often not done. But Marla's point again the happiness of all our employees is critical to a practice success, not simply the happiness of physicians alone. Support staff members, nurses, receptionists, technologists are interacting with the patients more than we are. Many of the radiologists are home reading films. You have remote people 3,000 miles away. They're not dealing with the patients. It's everybody else who's dealing with the patients, and that becomes oh so critical. Now, of course, you need the right workforce. It's not that easy. You don't hire the first people who respond, though it seems these days many people do. So how do you hire the best people? Well, let's take a break 
and let's listen to Eric Becker tell you how to do it. And with that, see you in a few minutes. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.